afternoon. This is WVEWLP Brattleboro, 107.7 FM, your community radio station. Um, this is Indigo Radio, deepening understanding and making connections on the air every Sunday at noon. We are a group of educators seeking to learn through engaging with others in our community and throughout the world. You can also find us on Facebook at Indigo Radio and on Instagram. The views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and host and not of the radio station as well. So we're here today. I'm Marisa Nielsen, and I'm here with Becca Polk. Hi, everyone. I'm a teacher in Springfield, Vermont, and I'm also a graduate of the Spark Teacher Training Program here in Brattleboro. Um, and today we're going to talk a little bit about MLK Day. Um, last night there were two events that Brattleboro Solidarity held, one in Springfield, Vermont, and one in Brattleboro at the Brooks Memorial Library. Um, this is the third year that we've had one at the Brattleboro, in Brattleboro, and the first year in Springfield. Mm, yeah. <clears throat> and today on the show we're going to be playing you some clips from both of those events um, but first, we're going to have a song. Um, so we are going to hear Bob Marley, Get Up, Stand Up, and then we will be right back. Get up, stand up, stand up for your right. Get up, stand up, stand up for your right. Get up. Stop. 
Welcome back. You're listening to Indigo Radio on 107.7 FM, Brattleboro's community radio station. So in the planning of this MLK speakout, we had some conversations around the legacy of Martin Luther King Jr. And that was the question that I asked my middle school students in Springfield this week. And I encouraged them to go beyond Martin Luther King himself when we talked about the legacy. And so we looked at the film, a wonderful film that's online called The Children's March. And it's about children in 1963 in Birmingham, Alabama, when Martin Luther King Jr. came there and said, you know, the strategy is we need to fill up the jails. And he asked at a meeting who was willing to go to jail. And no adults stood up. And it was the children who stood up. And they, this went on, they, the march went on for about seven days with over 5,000 children being arrested, some as young as five years and some being in jail for up to two weeks. And I asked my students to reflect on what gave the children courage to go out into the streets. And it was really interesting because a lot of them noted the horrific scenes of children being sprayed down by hoses. And you could tell just how painful that was by people, the force of the hose pushing children all the way down a block and, um, the courage that children continue to show up after being sprayed down. After the first day of being sprayed down by hoses, some of the children came back in their bathing suits. And my students said that that showed courage to stand up to these police officers that were had held guns and water hoses, and they kind of were like, we're going to keep on doing this, and we're going to wear our bathing suits. So um, here is actually a clip from... A student in Springfield, Vermont, reflecting on the Children's March. Um, hope and courage to stand up. The key things to a movement aren't, are not only what gives people the courage to stand up for something, but also the hope to continue to stand up even when it is hard. When people know that others are fighting, no matter how silent or far away, they have, they have the hope to move forward and keep fighting. What gives people the courage to work for a better world? There can be many influences, including the fear that them and future generations will grow up in bad conditions, or that they are not alone and their friends are fighting too. If you fight for something, other people who want the same thing will look up to you and fight with you. This is what happened in 1963 in Birmingham, Alabama, but with a lot of kids. The Children's March brought hundreds of Birmingham kids out of school and willingly into the jails to protest for civil rights. They won a battle that led to the 1964 Civil Rights Act, but it wouldn't have been possible if they didn't have the people to look up to or no one had volunteered at, uh, to go to jail in the first place. But someone did, looking up to Martin Luther King, among other leaders, and other people learned about it from friends and cryptic radio messages, and the movement grew rapidly as a result. That's the importance of others, to keep hopeful and inspire courage. So that was one of Becca's students um, speaking about the Children's March. Um, in Brattleboro, we also had a couple youth speakers. 
um, as well as some elder elders in our community speak. Um, one of those was Karen Saunders, who talked about um, collectivity, collective organizing, and working together. So here's a clip from Karen Saunders from um, the Brattleboro Speak Out. Years ago, I was at an MLK event in Northampton where Ekwemi Michael Thelwell told us that we should see Martin Luther King Jr. not as the leader of the civil rights movement, but as one among many thousands of people in the struggle. Am I flunking the microphone? <laughs> Dang! Oh well, okay. As a window onto the movement. In the spirit of Ekwemi Thelwell's words, I'd like to share some quotes from some other important figures in the movement, along with some thoughts. I've learned a lot from Fannie Lou Hammer, who was a sharecropper in rural Mississippi, one of many women sterilized without her consent as part of the eugenics movement, and most importantly, an activist in the struggle for voting rights, a woman of great courage. In an interview with a New York Times reporter in 1964, Ms. Hammer said, one day I know the struggle will change. There's got to be a change, not only for Mississippi, not only for the people in the United States, but people all over the world. Human liberation. Power concedes nothing without a demand. It never did, and it never will. And the thought of his words brings me back to Ella Baker, reminding of us us of this when she said, we who believe in freedom cannot rest. It's the collective struggle of our ancestors that gives me hope when looking at the world around me. Understanding the collective struggle of our ancestors can help us find our path in the struggle today. It's a path that calls upon us to support one another in the hard work, to help each other find joy and strength in the struggle. As Asada Shakur told us, we must love each other and support each other. We must love each other and support each other. So that was Karen Saunders um, speaking at the Brattleboro Speak Out yesterday. Um, another in Springfield, one of the highlights of the day was a second grade class. Uh, the teacher, Carrie Magoon, brought her second graders doing a reader script of I Have a Dream. And so... Let's go and hear um, some of their reader script. And it's something that they had practiced um, throughout the week, and they're going to be doing it at school this week. And it was really great that their families also came to support them at the event. Um, and so there were about six of them performing the reader script, I Have a Dream. So we'll go to that clip next. I'm having a bit of a problem pulling up that clip right now, Becca. I'm sorry to hear it, <laughs> to say. Um, Becca, while we're waiting for it to come up, could you just explain um, your, why you had an event in Springfield and um, all of the people in the community who came out? Sure. Um, so the reason for having an event in Springfield was I think a lot of young people in Springfield are – uh, eager and want to participate in um, conversations around justice and working towards a different world, but they don't see that happening often in their community. 
they hear a lot of negative talk of Springfield. And so I wanted, I was working with two high schoolers who are my former students who wanted to be proud and hear something, um, like be a part of something in Springfield that they were proud of. And I would say we had about 50 people. It's the biggest turnout I've ever seen in Springfield. And it was a uh, really a group effort of teachers from the high school and the middle school and the elementary schools. The administration was so supportive of this event happening. Community members, school boards members came out. So it was, um, we had kids as young as one-year-old all the way through high school coming out. It was really wonderful. Great. And now we're ready to hear that second grade children's play. You spoke to us saying, I have dream. We listen, remembering our dreams. Bad dreams, nightmares, Martin Luther King spoke. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. hot summer day and a swimming pool where children laughed and splashed in the pool water. I point to the sign by the gate and ask, what does that say? Why so late? Learning, no, learning those words was easy. They were all over town in They were all over town in store windows. Why so late? In city parks. Why so late? I have a dream that one day sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. Listen, remembering. I remember going to the movies. Black people couldn't enter the front door or sit downstairs like white people did. Black people had a special side door that led to the back balcony. The color section. On buses, the first row were for white people. If those seats were empty and the rest of the bus was full, black people had to stand. If the first rows were full and more people got on the bus, blacks had to get up so whites could sit. Martin Luther King spoke. I have a dream that all my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin but by the content of their character. We listened, remembering. I remember my friend Nancy. Together we searched for caterpillars, looking at picture books, dressed our dolls, and giggled. One day they told us, you can't play together anymore. Black children and white children can't be friends. I have a dream that one day little black boys and little black girls will 
be able to join hands with little white boys and little white girls and walk together as brother and sister. I have a dream today. <coughs> One day, oh, Dr. King led the Montgomery bus boycott. One day, Miss Rosa Parks board, boarded a city bus in Montgomery, Alabama. She was tired, so she sat down. Get up and give this white man a seat, the bus driver said. Miss Parks said, No! When Mrs. Parks was arrested, Dr. King told the people of Montgomery if, that if black people couldn't ride the bus, with freedom and dignity, they shouldn't ride at all. And so they walked. Girls and boys, through rain and cold, for months and months, for miles and miles, they walked. The boycott was a success. Now black and white ride buses together as equal. Martin Luther King Jr. led the Birmingham marches. After the adults were put in jail, he called on the children. The children marched a thousand strong. Some were only six years old. The police arrested them. School buses carried them to jail. A policeman looked down at one small girl and asked, What do you want? She looked at him and said, Freedom! Nothing could stop those children. On the way to jail, they chanted, We want freedom! We want freedom! We want freedom! The children marched the they prayed. They wouldn't turn back. The police and firemen stood waiting. Orders were given. Stop those children any way you can. But the police and firemen fell back. And the children marched through. No one stopped them. No one hurt them. The children say, I love freedom. That was Becca's um, event up in Springfield. Those were second graders doing a play. Um, the I, was it called I Have a Dream? Yep. One. It was a reader's theater script. Well, thank you, So Becca. all you second grade teachers, first grade teachers out there, if you want a copy, email Brattleboro Solidarity. <laughs> 
Um, now we're going to go to a song. Becca, what song is it that we're going to listen to right now? So this is actually the song that kicked off the event in Springfield. This is Marina Garland, who's a community member, singing, um, getting the audience participation in a song um, that, from the civil rights movement. Great. Thank you. Here it is. Went down to the jailhouse and I took back what was me and I Welcome back. You're listening to Indigo Radio on 107.7 FM, Brattleboro's community radio station. Today we are playing you clips from the two MLK speakouts that happened, one in Springfield, Vermont, and the other one here in Brattleboro. In Brattleboro, it was our third annual Speakout for Justice. And Marisa, since we're both teachers, I was wondering what kind of activities or conversations did you have in your class this week? We've been working a lot on power and um, collective struggle and what solidarity means in my class. Um, So we haven't focused as much on the historical period um, that MLK Jr. was living in and working in, but we have been working on this idea of solidarity um, and power. So our in Brattleboro, our district-wide diversity theme this year is solidarity. So we've been reading a lot of picture books, um, comparing um, authors, comparing um, points of view of what it means to work together with a diverse group of people to achieve a common goal um, and talking about what that common goal is. So um, one, one set of books we just read were Click, Clack, Moo, Cows That Type, Um, which is about, it's a picture book, and it's about cows who go on strike, but they also, um, they don't get what they want originally, so they get the hens involved, and the hens go on strike with the cows, not for their own benefit, but for the benefit of the cows. Um, And we compared that book to Farmer Duck, which is about a farmer who makes a duck do all the work on the farm, 
and the other farm animals aren't doing anything either um, until when they all decide um, that that's not okay. So all the different animals on the farm, the sheep, the pig, the cow, um, chase the farmer out and um, start doing all of the work so that when duck comes out, um, they all do the work on their farm together. Um, so we've been comparing different books like that about collectivity and organizing and solidarity. Um, we'll soon be reading other books um, like Si Se Puede about the janitor's strike. Um, and and, pro- and we'll move into civil rights as well. Um, we just haven't gotten there yet. <laughs> yeah, and the struggle for of workers was so central to what Martin Luther King was doing towards the end of his life. And that's very little known. Uh, It's more well known, the history of him um, fighting for the equality of all people, right? Um, Regardless of skin color. And it's less well known, his fight for economic justice and against militarism. And that's something that I focused on in previous years, uh, looking at the sanitation workers strike in Memphis and thinking about um, that was the last campaign that he ever worked on. He was assassinated in the middle of his work the night before um, he spoke, and that's his last speech, I've been to the mountaintop. And he says, we've got to give ourselves to this struggle until the end. Nothing would be more tragic than to stop at this point in Memphis. We've got to see it through. And I just think about all the labor struggles that are currently happening today um, as living in the legacy of Martin Luther King Jr., that it's also important we support those struggles. Yeah, thank you, Becca. Um, We're going to go back to the Brattleboro event and hear one of our local students. Oops. Um, Do a poem from James Baldwin called... Uh, the giver. The giver, thank you. I apologize. The unified Buddhist church. Just kidding. So we're really mm-hmm. testing out Maurice on the board today with all these short clips, <laughs> but um, I just wanted to read another quote from MLK. All over the globe, people are revolting against old systems of exploitation and oppression. And out of the wombs of this frail, new sy- frail world, new systems of justice and equality are born. Thank you. And now we are ready for Amelia's poem. Is the hope of giving, if the hope of giving is to love the living, the giver risks madness in the act of giving. Some such lessons I seem to see in the faces that surrounded me. Needy and blind, unhopeful, unlifted, what gift would gift them the gifted to be gifted. The giver is no less adrift than those who are clamoring for the gift. If they cannot claim it, if it is not there, if their empty fingers beat the empty air. And the giver goes down on the knees in prayer, knows that all of his giving has been for naught, and that nothing was ever what he thought, and turns into his guilty bed to stare, as the starving multitude standing there and rises from his bed to curse at heaven, and he must yet understand that to whom much is given, much will be taken, and justly so. I can 
So that was Amelia Glickman um, doing James Baldwin's poem, The Giver. And we're going to go now to a song. This is actually um, from the soundtrack for A Revolution. It's by John Legend. Uh, Woke up this morning. And it's one of those songs that's very well known from the civil rights era. But I think um, we can continue to have it relevant to our world today. And so we'll play that song in a moment. And we're going to play Woke Up This Morning by John Legend. And um, so here we go. I woke up this morning with my mind Stayed on freedom I woke up this morning with my mind Stayed on freedom I woke up this morning with my mind Stayed on freedom Hallelujah 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 Yeah I'm walking and talking with my mind Stayed on freedom I'm walking and talking with my mind Stayed on freedom I'm walking and talking with my mind Stayed on freedom Hallelujah 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 mm, it ain't nothing wrong with keeping my mind Hallelujah. 
Welcome back. This is Brattleboro Solidarity at one of. Oh, I'm sorry. This is Indigo Radio <laughs> at WBEWLP Brattleboro 107.7 FM, your community radio station. Um, we've been talking about the MLK events both in Brattleboro and in Springfield today. Um, and this is Nika Wad. She is speaking about um, Palestine. She's reading a poem that. Uh, Lauren Pearlstein also read at the Brooks Memorial Library. Um, so here is Nikowad from Springfield. Hi. Oh, Hi. That. <laughs> My name is Nicole. I actually just moved to Springfield probably about a month and a half ago. So it's so lovely to be part of this first event. And I thank everybody who worked hard to put it together. So I'm going to read a poem. Recently, our, the U.S. administration uh, made an announcement saying that Jerusalem is the capital of Israel, and our brothers and sisters in Palestine have been struggling, including young children, like the ones we see here, struggling against that decision, trying to reclaim their land, and trying to make sure parents trying to make sure that their children have water, food, and education just like any of us here. So this uh, poem is about Gaza, the Gaza Strip. And this is something that actually happens to people and stories that I've heard from people. So I thought that it was so important to share with you all. It's called Running Orders. They call us now before they drop the bombs. The phone rings, and someone who knows my first name calls and says in perfect Arabic, this is David. And in my stupor of sonic booms and glass-shattering symphonies, still smashing around in my head, I think, do I know any Davids in Gaza? They call us now to say, run. You have 58 seconds from the end of this message. Your house is next. They think of it as some kind of wartime courtesy. It doesn't matter that there's nowhere to run to. It means nothing that the borders are closed and that your papers are worthless and mark you only for a life sentence in this prison by the sea and the alleyways are narrow, and there are more human lives packed one against the other more than any place on earth. Just run. We aren't trying to kill you. It doesn't matter that you can't call us back to tell us the people we claim to want aren't in our house. That there's no one here except you and your children who were just cheering for Argentina, sharing the last loaf of bread for this week, counting the candles left in case the power goes out. It doesn't matter that you have your children. You live in the wrong place. And now is your chance to run to nowhere. 
it doesn't matter that 58 seconds isn't long enough to find your wedding album or your son's favorite blanket or your daughter's almost completed college application or your shoes or to gather everyone in the house. It doesn't matter what you had planned. It doesn't matter who you are. Prove you're human. Prove you stand on two legs. Run. Welcome back. This is Indigo Radio. I'll get it right this time at 107.7 FM, Brattleboro's community radio station. And you are listening to clips from the MLK Speak Out for Justice, both in Brattleboro and in Springfield, that happened yesterday. So, and that was Nick Awad um, reading a poem about Palestine. And Becca, can you tell us a little bit um, about why that poem is important in terms of MLK Day? Mm. Well, I think, first off, that poem really shows us that this is not um, what is typically referred to as the Israeli-Arab or Israeli-Palestinian conflict. This is really an Israeli military occupation of Palestine. And she's describing um, bombs going off all around her and the humanity of those people. Um, It's seen as a courtesy call that your house is going to be struck next. And MLK's last year of his life was really dedicated to the struggle against the U.S. occupation and war in Vietnam. And thinking about the question was that he often asked is, what do the people in Vietnam think that we are saying we're going there to liberate them, but we're taking their land and we're killing their people and we're causing people to live without a home and we're um, causing them to live in constant fear of their lives. And we actually have a clip from his speech that we wanted to play next. It's the Beyond Vietnam speech. And so um, this was in 19... 67 a year to the day before he was murdered. The French were defeated. It looked as if independence and land reform would come again through the Geneva Agreement. Then instead there came the United States, determined that whole should not unify the temporarily divided nation. The peasants watched again as we supported one of the most vicious modern dictators, our chosen man, Premier Diem. The peasants watched and cringed as Diem ruthlessly rooted out all opposition, supported their extortionist landlords, and refused even to discuss reunification with the North. The peasants watched as all of this was presided over by United States influence, then by increasing numbers of United States troops who came to help quell the insurgency that Diem's methods had aroused. Diem was overthrown, they may have been happy, but the long line of military dictators seemed to offer no real change especially in terms of their need for land and peace. 
The only change came from America. As we increased our troop commitments in support of governments which were singularly corrupt, inept, and without popular support, all the while the people read our leaflets and received the regular promises <coughs> of peace and democracy and land reform, now they languish under our bombs and consider us not their fellow Vietnamese, the real enemy. They move sadly and apathetically as we herd them off the land of their fathers, in the concentration camps where minimal social needs were rarely met. They know they must move on or be destroyed by our bombs. So they go, primarily women and children and aged. They watch as we poison their water. As we kill a million acres of their crops, they must weep as the bulldozers roar through their areas, preparing to destroy the precious trees. They wander into the hospitals with at least 20 casualties from American firepower for one Viet Cong inflicted injury. So far, we may have killed a million of them, mostly children. They wander into the towns and see thousands of the children, homeless, without clothes, running in packs on the streets like animals. They see the children degraded by our soldiers as they beg for food. They see the children selling their sisters to our soldiers, soliciting for their mothers. What do the peasants think as we allow ourselves with the landlords? And as we refuse to put any action into our many words concerning land reform, what do they think as we test out our latest weapons on them, just as the Germans tested out new medicine and new tortures in the concentration camps of Europe, where are the roots of the independent Vietnam we claim to be building? Welcome back. You're listening to Indigo Radio, deepening understanding, making connections on 107.7 FM, Brattleboro's community radio station. And that was uh, Martin Luther King speaking in the Beyond Vietnam a year before he was killed. And, you know, those questions that he asked at the end are profound, and I believe we could ask them about every um, many other places where the U.S. is involved in military occupations including in Iraq and Honduras and Palestine. And I was just thinking about that question that he asked, what do they think, what do the peasants think when we are aligning ourselves with their landlords Hmm. in this fight for quote-unquote freedom and democracy? Right. And I think, you know, that dehumanization too, it's so pervasive and just has become more so um, in the U.S., um, in our media, in our education, um, the othering, the dehumanizing, the, um, the manipulation that we should be allying ourselves with landlords, not criti- critically analyzing um, why the world is the way it is. Mm-hmm. Um, we have another clip from Brattleboro from someone who brought the event home to um, events that have currently been taking place in, in Brattleboro. Um, so let's listen to a bit about what she had to say. Other benefits. Um, so 
me and for those of us who have privileges, um, much is required. One thing I think that is required of me is to be as outraged by the hyenas, horrible things that are happening in our country and the planet um, due to our demigod and his followers, um, to be as outraged as those who are directly impacted because we are all impacted by those events. Um, the second thing I think that is required is um, to speak out and not be silenced. Um, I'm reading a book, a little short book on tyranny now, it's about that big. Um, and it, it talks about the um, historic situations that have allowed tyranny to exist. Um, talks a lot about what was happening as the Nazis, Nazis rose to power with people not believing what they said they were going to do could really be true and with people being silent and afraid to speak out. So that's one of the things um, I think we have to really um, take on is speaking out um, and not normalize what's happening, not just, you know, move our, shift our, our stance for what is not acceptable. I think I've been encouraged by some things that we in Vermont and Brattle World have been doing in terms of speaking out. And one is um, we have stopped the deportation of some farm workers from Mexico and Guatemala up north, um, some farm workers who were detained. And by our collective voices through microjustice, we have stopped those deportations. Um, we have also, through microjustice, worked to ensure that the farm workers have adequate wages and humane living conditions by working for two years with Ben and Jerry's um, to get them to finally comply and take action um, and only work with the farms that are providing humane conditions. Um, we have, just this past week in Brattleboro, reinstated the diversity coordinator position through many people that wouldn't have happened unless many of us had written letters and um, come to those meetings. Um, we have seen that the uh, Chester County Fair with its Confederate flag, that that was taken down and are working to make sure that it doesn't go up again. Our efforts have not always paid off, of course. Um, we had a setback with the fair and impartial policing this year, but I don't think we're giving up on that. We're going to continue so that ICE does not collaborate with the local police. Um, we had a setback on health care for all a few years ago, but we've got the vision. We know what should happen, and we've got to continue to speak out. Um, I went, um, in these times, um, I, I think it's so important that we do continue to speak out. And I want to um, quote one, use one quote from King, um, the trumpet of conscience. In the end, will we, we will remember not the words of our enemies, unfortunately, choice of words are weird, but the silence of our friends. So we remember the silence of our friends, and I think 
we will remember also if we ourselves, I remember if I myself is silent. Welcome back. This is Indigo Radio, making Vivian Understanding, making connections on Brattleboro's community radio station. We're going to go now to a clip from Springfield. This is um, one of my students in the eighth grade there reading a quote from letters from a Birmingham jail. That was MLK in 1963 writing to the clergymen of Birmingham. She'll go last. So this is um, a letter from Birmingham jail. First, I must confess that over the first... Oh my gosh, I knew I could do this. Okay. So, first, I must confess that over the, fa- the past few years, I have been gravely disappointed with the white moderate. I have almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's great stumbling block on the strive toward freedom is not the white citizen's counselor or the Ku Klux Klaner, but the white moderate, who is more devoted to order than to justice, who prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice, who constantly says, I agree with you in the goal that you seek, but I cannot agree with the, mes- with the methods of your direct action, who patternistically, I don't think that's a word, mm, believes that he can set a timetable for another man's freedom, who lives by a mythical concept of time that who consistently ad- advises the Negro to wait for a more convenient season. Shallow understanding from the people of good will is more frustrating than absolute misunderstanding from people of ill will. Lukewarm acceptance is much more bewildering than the outright rejection. So we actually used this letter in the first um, study group that we had on the construction of whiteness because it's so important to, um, and I know one of the reasons my student picked this one out is because um, we talk about racism as the outright blatant racism, um, but we don't always talk about racism as the decision to cut the diversity coordinator. And the other, um, I wouldn't call that subtle racism at all, but sometimes people call that um, implicit bias or subtle racism. And for me, this is deeply embedded in the system of white supremacy that those who... Um, and I see this as our biggest challenge in this world right now in Vermont, those who are comfortable um, with how things are going can continue to maintain a a quote-unquote neutrality that, in my opinion, doesn't really exist. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's this unfounded fear, especially among um, middle and upper class folks, that they'll lose their job when that's really for... Um, middle and upper class folks, not not so much of a worry. Um, I was impressed to see the turnout at the um, school board meeting on Monday night. Mm-hmm. I wasn't able to make the one on Wednesday because I was teaching. Um, but the the people who I was um, sad not to see were some teachers and people who I thought were on my side um, who didn't show up. And I think that that's very telling. Mm, yep. So there's still quite a bit of work to be done, um, as we know. And so um, we wanted to go now to probably the last clip from the events. This is um, Kelly Juno, who is playing or who's reading a poem by Eduardo Galeano, who's an Uruguayan poet. 
Um, and this poem is called The Right to Dream. And we're trying one more different audio source from our phone. So we're going to see if this works. If not, we have the poem in front of us that we can read. But one thing is certain. If we are still around, I'll... One more try. We're going to do our best. It's called The Right to Dream. <clears throat> Who knows how the world will be in 2025? But one thing is certain. If we are still around, all of us will be the people of the last century. However, although we cannot divine the world that will be, we can imagine the one we would like to be there. The right to dream does not figure in the 30 human rights which the United Nations proclaimed at the end of 1948. But if it were not for this or for the waters it gives us to drink, the other rights would die of thirst. Allow me, readers, the madness of inventing the future, the world that is upside down, dreams that it will land on its feet. In the streets, cars will be run over by dogs. The air will be free of all the poisons of machines and there will be no other contamination than that which issues from human fear and human passions. The television set will stop being the most important member of the family and will be treated like an ironing board or a washing machine. The boys who don't want to do military service will not be arrested. Those who do, will. People will work to live, not live to work. No illness will be called mortal because life itself is mortal. Economists will not confuse the standard of living with the level of consumption, nor the quality of life with the quality of things. Historians will not believe that countries enjoy being invaded. Politicians will not believe that the poor enjoy eating shit. Cooks will not believe that lobsters delight in being boiled alive. Street kids won't be treated like rubbish because there won't be street kids. Rich kids won't be treated like money because there won't be rich kids. <laughs> Education will not be the privilege of those who can pay for it. Police repression will not be the curse of those who cannot buy it. There will be no legitimate offspring and natural offspring because we are all natural. A black woman will be the president of Brazil and another black woman will be the president of the United States of America. An Indian woman will govern Guatemala. Another will govern Peru. In Argentina, the crazy women of the Plaza de Mayo will be exemplars of mental health because they refuse to forget in times of amnesia. The Holy Mother Church will correct a few of the Lord's mistakes. The Sixth Commandment, which prohibits the pleasures of sex, will demand, celebrate the body. The Ninth, which mistrusts desire, will declare it sacred. The Church will also dictate an Eleventh Commandment, which God forgot. You will love nature to which you belong. 
The ardent man will not be a champion. The ardent woman will not be a whore. For no one in the world will be turned off. That was Kelly Juno uh, reading Eduardo Galliano's, Galliano's poem. Um, and you are listening to WVEWLP Brattleboro, 107.7 FM, your community radio station. So thank you for being with us today, listening to clips from Brattleboro and Springfield, the MLK Speak Out for Justice. Stay tuned for upcoming events, and we're going to go out on a song um, by The Roots, Ain't Gonna Let Nobody Turn Me Around.